Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we are going to learn from Mark Mullins. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. So to get us going, what is your educational leadership title or titles? I am Vice Chair for Education in the Department of Radiology and Imaging Sciences. Um, I'm a former clerkship director and former program director. I'm also the person who oversees all of the radiology medical student education for our department. So those are some of the things I do. Wonderful. I love that uh, all your roles have had different levels of learners and all education related. Yep. UME, GME, and CME. Yeah. So I, it's full circle. <laughs> there we go. You truly covered across the continuum. Check. So what do you do in your current role? Yeah, I am about 50% clinical. Uh, so I'm a practicing neuroradiologist. And when I'm doing my clinical work, most of the time I am in a teaching capacity. So I have residents and fellows and sometimes medical students, sometimes visiting residents and fellows and other learners. And then the other 50% of the time is a combination of administrative tasks, teaching, um, a little bit of research. I used to do a lot more research and that's gone a little to the back burner. And then um, scholarship and leadership and service. Uh, service and leadership has become more of my life as time has gone on. Okay. So what do you do in terms of leadership and service now? Yeah. So locally, um, I'm on the executive committee for the department and I run all of our education mission for the department. It's a pretty large enterprise. Um, you can consider that position to be like um, a chair position for a small department. That's kind of like what it is. And so uh, in some form, I'm over all the aspects of what our department does in terms of education. Um, we have, for example, four residencies, a lot of fellowships. Uh, we have a, a required and elective uh, clerkship. We have a lot of other medical student interactions um, that would fall under this as well. And then we also have a, a very robust visiting professor in Graham Brown's program, and we have a few CME courses. And finally, we have a, a nice library that uh, it all kind of falls under that. And um, that I, I've got to say, um, when I was program director, I did both the vice chair role and the program director role at the same time. And when I stepped down from being program director, I really got to appreciate and engage the vice chair role in a different way. And um, that's been a big part of my life since then. Great. And so as as you got to focus in on as vice chair and you've talked about all those different types of programs, what kind of skills do you use in order to navigate all of that? Sure. I will say that being very organized helps. Um, I think having people skills is very, very useful. Um, I, ironically, I think when people ordinarily think of radiologists, they don't often think of us as having people skills, but we work with people all the time, all the time. Um, and so most of the people I know, I like to think myself too, we will have good people skills. Um, in the last few years, I've set up, um, or we have set up a dyad. So I have a, a, a staff person that I work with, uh, Amy Fioramonte, it holds that position and we have a great dyad. Um, that's something that I think works really, really well. So the ability to work in that system. Um, my one superpower is I know I don't know everything. I'm not threatened at all by having people that are smarter than me around me or that know things I don't know. Ignorance is not, you know, lack of intelligence. It's a different thing to me. So 
I, in fact, I want to surround myself with people better than me. Um, those are all skills that I think serve me well. And I believe in servant leadership. I'm not here for me. And I want all of these things to thrive when I'm gone. So the idea is that I want to set up robust systems, uh, redundancy and always getting better. Um, it's exhausting to, to always feel like you're trying to get better. Uh, I feel that now that I'm, you know, a, a few years behind me, I, I feel it, but it's just hardwired into me. Uh, don't rest on my laurels and kind of move forward. I think that one of the things I'm trying to do now is enjoy the moments more and enjoy the wins more. Um, something that early on, I just went from, you know, what's the next thing to do to what's the next thing to do. And, and, um, I'm get you know, they say wisdom is experience with reflection. I'm trying to achieve wisdom and I'm working on it. I love that, especially, um, that realization about, you know, in these types of roles, it's so easy to go, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And being able to pause and go, huh, we did that. Yeah. 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 Enjoy the moment. Indeed. So I know you've given us little snippets uh, talking about being program director, now vice chair, but I'd love to hear more about what was your journey that led to this current role? I, when I was a uh, Growing up, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, and um, at that point, if you showed academic promise, they gave you two choices, doctor or lawyer, choose one. And so I chose doctor. Then I went to college, and for, for a couple of life events sort of occurred, and I had the opportunity to add science uh, to what I was doing. And so as an undergraduate, um, science became a big part of my life. And at that point, kind of innate in doing it was teaching. Mm -hmm. And then I, f I started teaching as just because it's what everybody did. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I think I had a knack for it. I think that it gave me things that I didn't get otherwise, you know, in terms of like how, um, like professional satisfaction and also there's nowhere to hide when you're a teacher, you, you, <laughs> you get exposed and I never want to make a mistake. So it forced me to be, to work at a higher level, you know, and I like that. I like that. I always want to be better. And so that's how I got started. And then when I went to graduate school, I knew I wanted to go to medical school. I wasn't sure how much of a PhD I wanted to do, but then I, I did uh, a year after undergrad and I knew I wanted to do a PhD. So I did MD PhD. And of course, again, innate in that is a lot of teaching opportunities. And I started to find great mentors and great role models. Um, and some people who kind of suggested that maybe I could make a career out of education. I mean, it wasn't very popular as a concept in those days. Um, but I saw some inklings around that, which I thought was very cool. And then eventually um, went to residency. When I got into residency, started to, you know, have more opportunities to try a lot of different things. And I found um, that I really enjoyed it, you know, and uh, opportunities started to avail themselves. And I knew I wanted to be an academic person uh, after I finished. And so I looked for uh, positions that would give me opportunities. And, you know, opportunities came my way. And I've always tried to exceed expectations. And that gave me more opportunities. Um, when I was at my former institution, at, uh, I was at Mass General, I was an attending and I'd finished training there and the opportunity came to come to Emory. 
I had known about Emory for a long time and they were recruiting me to come be the clerkship director. They wanted somebody to come in and, you know, make a lot of changes and and really make it wonderful. And I, I was, I was like, well, I think I can do that because I had been the protege for, our. Uh, uh, Robert Novelline, who was an amazing uh, teacher there at Mass General. And I was like, but, but I was kind of settled in, you know, I was like, you know, I was like, well, I think I can do this, but I'm not so interested in moving just for that, you know, just being honest about it. And they said, well, you know, in a few years, we think we'll need a program director. And right now that position is attached to the, to a vice chair role. Would you be interested in that? And I had been to junior faculty development courses where they said successful people are receptive to nonlinear career progression. And I had never thought about being a program director to that point. And then I pulled it apart in my mind and I thought about what you do and what the you know skill sets would be and those kind of things. And I thought I could do a good job. So I moved to the new world and came to Emory and, uh, and that was 17 years ago. Um, so I've been here a minute, as they say, um, and really enjoyed, uh, the clerkship director part, the program director part, huge challenge, but I think, you know, that was, I think, you know, went well. And then, um, the, uh, vice chair role I'm still doing now, you know, so that's kind of like how it evolved. And as my career went along, I started to get more opportunities locally and nationally, um, which is nice too. That's it's it's nice, uh, and you know that brings me to today. That journey and the fact that, as you said, it was non-linear, though there was like a thread. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized this is the first time that I found out you have an MD PhD. I always thought it was yep. just the MD. So yep. what did you specialize in for the PhD portion? Uh, chemistry. Uh, I did um, chemistry and it was physical chemistry, which was, uh, it was very challenging, but somehow uh, I liked it and it made sense to me. I don't know why. Uh, it's just one of those things. It was great. My my choices, like if you went through and looked at the things I've done over my career, I think there are some threads, but perhaps some. sometimes it's hard to see the threads until later. Um, and I've just tried to do things that I thought that it would be good for me to do and that I was passionate about. And I really wanted to do it, you know, and, you know, once, once I set, set sail for the new world, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent, you know, like I'm, I'm all in, you know, so, so, um, and a lot of things have interested me over time in, in some way, um, luck plays an enormous role too. Uh, I, I feel like I'm the Forrest Gump of what I do, uh, just right place at the right time, uh, for a lot of things. And that's okay. You know, that, that, that's okay. Um, there's that old expression, you know, just put yourself in, in position to succeed and you got a better chance of succeeding, you know? So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how, you know, it's, <laughs> I've failed at a lot of things, but, um, I'd like to think I've learned from them and, and moved on. I always put myself out there. I, I, I teach my trainees all the time, you know, was it the Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss all the shots you don't take, you know, or is that one? I don't know. I think that's one of the ones it, it's, you know, uh, it sounds and, like him. Yeah. so I think it's, yeah. And you know, there's that part of it. I already know. I don't know everything. <laughs> I know. I already know. I'm not the best at everything. I already know that, you know, so, uh, that's a powerful thing. It, it, you know, still painful, uh, to fail, but, um, I learn from those things and hopefully get better. Indeed, indeed. I, I love that. And it makes me think too about what you talked about, um, the importance of mentoring and mentors. Um, and that's something that I, I hear people talk about, oh, it's so important to find mentors, to have mentors. 
How did you go about doing that? Was it just you reaching out to people or people already in your sphere? The assigned mentors and mentees rarely work out, I think. And, it, and we do it and I continue to do it and I participate in it. And every now and then it's it's useful. But even being thoughtful about the linky, links, you know, like uh, of, you know, for example, with our department, when we do it, um, we try to pick people that you wouldn't ordinarily meet, um, but that might be able to help. You know, there's that part. So I believe in mosaic mentorship. I believe that um, different people bring different things to that relationship. I believe, uh, or I, <laughs> I didn't come up with these things. I, these are things that I like. You know, I like the mosaic mentorship model. I like the idea that being a mentee and a mentor makes you better at both. I like the idea that it's not about age. Um, I like the idea that it's you know there can be peer, peer mentoring. Um, I really like the modern idea of sponsors and advisors being different from mentors the the part about coaching um i'm a former athlete so coaches to me <laughs> are are people that i had a different relationship with um and the mentors you know there's that so i found people for unofficial mentorship over time and then sometimes i would ask them actually to be a mentor and then sometimes it was just that i would ask them advice you know um and um i, I a lot of the people that i interface with they kind of expect it you know there are things that are kind of expected in what we do like for example you know being in academia people expect you to want to get promoted so when you say Hey, I, I want to get promoted and, you know, can you help sponsor me on something, you know, like it, people understand that. Right. And so it's the same thing with the mentorship part. I don't know anyone who's been a successful person without mentors. Um, I don't know anybody like that. And I think that people achieve success faster and at a higher level when they do avail themselves of mentorship. But I learned a long time ago, you can't really construct it in a way that it's, it, it's gotta be organic. You, you can't really construct it in a way as such that it, it's going, you know, you can't force it, you know, I, that, that, that's not, I, there's that part. How did I meet people? Um, I heard some people were good at this, that, or the other thing my eyes were open my ears were open when i was on clinical services doing projects teaching that kind of thing and like for example you know i would see people teach and i might see you know some way that they do things that i really like and i might talk to them about that or i might hear somebody's doing a research project and talk to them about it and then like then i'm like i bet this would be a good person to work with and and there's that part too. So um, sadly, I think that in the modern world, since we're so spread out, that there's not as much role modeling um, as there used to be. Like there used to be multiple people in a room and just organically, you would see how everybody does what they do. And that's unfortunately not there as much anymore. It has to be constructed, not insurmountable, just you know, more of a challenge. That's all. Indeed, indeed. As we deal with the hybrid, the virtual spaces and all of that. Yeah, that's, thank you. Very insightful. I love the nuances in your um, description of mentoring over time. You will be hard pressed to find someone that has thought more about what they do and how they do it. It's exhausting, but that's who I am. <laughs> I have a reason, like even in my clinical life, yeah. I have a reason for doing what I do. And that doesn't mean I'm dogmatic yep. and quite the opposite. In fact, you know, like I'm always tweaking things based on new information or feedback. Um, but I have philosophies around 
all sorts of things like that. And and honestly, I feel like what's really important there is self-awareness. I value self-awareness very highly. Um, and I'm a practical and pragmatic person uh, as well. So Important combo, that self-awareness and practice. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> so when you think about, as you said, it's it's been a number of years here at Emory as vice chair. As you reflect back, since we are now wiser, what do you wish you knew before stepping into this kind of combined role that eventually became your dedicated thing? I think that there's a couple of things that when you're young, you don't quite understand. Like, so there's the technical aspect of like how things work, you know, how, how does the world work and each of the worlds that you're in. And of course, things are going to change over time, but there are going to be some big sweeping sort of concepts. Like, for example, to get promoted, people at other places are going to need to tell your place that you're worth promoting. And they need to get to know you one way or another. So it, reputation, like you, you know, maybe you publish a lot or maybe you present at, at meetings or what have you. But I think when I first started, um, <clears throat> I'm a very friendly person, but networking didn't seem maybe as important as it does now. Right. So, you know, I think that it doesn't, it may have a negative content connotation to some people, but I think like everything else in life, it, there's a lot of how you do it in addition to what you're doing. And so, um, I feel like if you have substance and you don't market yourself, that's a lost opportunity. I also feel like if you don't have substance and you market yourself, that's tantamount to evil. <laughs> so I, I don't like that at all. So, but if you have substance, like you're, you know, you're good at what you do and you, you work hard and yeah, you know, and, and nowadays you, you get the sponsors to help you too, to get you more opportunities and, and put, put yourself out there. Um, <clears throat> I think that's part of it. Uh, when I first started also what I looked at as worthwhile to spend my time on scholarship, those kind of things. When I first started, it was very like scientific, you know, it was very basic science. It was very bench work. It was very, you know, these kind of things. And now I have a very, very, very broad sense of what's worthwhile. You know, if I feel like I can benefit from it, if I feel like somebody else can benefit from it, I think it's worth working on and worth writing up and work worth giving a lecture about those are some things that i think the young me needed to transition uh to be a little more worldly um and i think you know a lot of life we we try to deal with what's what's right in front of us right and so maybe that was experience maybe it was time i don't know but it was opened up my shutters to sorry opened up my shutters to be able to like you know, sort of see more than what was right in front of me, you know, um, I think that that's good too. In reading books and getting advice from mentors and what have you, and now that I'm a lot more senior, one of the things that comes up is you eventually have to learn to say no when you're, you know, early on in your career, you know, you, you generally say yes to a lot of opportunities and then things get a little out of hand quickly and you need to, learn to say no. And there's that part. And then the other, the, the, the next part is not everything can get your full attention or get a hundred percent of what you do. I think when you first start out, you're like, everything I do, I do a hundred percent and you probably do that. And then you can't sustain that. So for example, you know, email management, uh, when I hear people talk about managing their emails, the really, really successful people, I hear them oftentimes say they do email once a day and then they have a whole way of dealing with it that they only try to deal with the important stuff and all of that kind of, you know, the, the different solutions. Um, so I think the young me, you know, I would tell to, 
you know, that, that at some point it's going to transition and, you know, you need to be ready for that moment. And the same thing is like, at some point you're going to have to say no and just be ready for that moment. But then I think also I made some good choices too. Like, so for example, doing things that I cared about, it worked out. I'm very happy with my career and I wasn't sure it would work out. So for example, people would ask me to do things that no one else wanted to do. And I just thought it was cool. So I did it, you know, and I, and I want to be helpful. Yeah. I really want to be helpful. I want people to, to think, oh, that was really helpful. You know, like, that's what I want people to think that like I did a good job of it. And then I'm helpful. So, and ultimately, um, like, for example, my list of lectures that I've done of topics, you know, when people ask me to do a talk and I'll give them a list of lectures I've already given, yep. it's like two, two pages long. And this is, you know, in the old days, they would tell you to find a niche and fill it or create a niche and fill it and be the person that they think of for X, whatever X is, you know, and I just tried to be the best at what I was given the opportunities to do. And there's where hopefully the threads came together uh, and it worked out. So I think that's another thing I tell myself is, you know, like uh, doing a great job of what you do and, and picking passion projects and being passionate about a lot of things that can, that can work out too. It doesn't have to be all on one topic. Um, And I made a career as an educator which back in the day, I wasn't sure I was, I would be able to do that. Um, that's been cool too. Um, I would tell myself it's okay. Those two things are okay. You, you're going to be okay. <laughs> I love that, especially because you're right. When I think back to the career of a scientist, no one said, oh yeah, you can totally do that, but be an educator. And so I think that's really important and the passion and the range of passions that you have, which comes to my next question then, given your broad range of passions, what continuing professional development do you do to keep up with the needs of your role? Um, Every year I go to our national education focus meeting, which is AUR. So every year. And I volunteer and I'm actively involved and um, I try to go every year. So I learn things. It gets my batteries recharged, gets my creative, you know, side going. Um, I get to see other people who are like, you know, my people, you know, like you go there and, and you're part of a community where people are into what you're into and they love doing what you do and they're passionate about the same things. And, like, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And every few years here, I go to the learning to be better teachers workshop. Um, <laughs> I went, I went this way that this year and, uh, some of my colleagues were like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I made them nervous cause I was there and I was like, I, I need this just, you know, like everybody else needs this. This is good. You know, I'm not, you know, um, I want, you know, I want to do that. Um, I try to be actively involved in, you know, peer learning and, um, try to get feedback from everywhere. And I try to work on my, on my craft, uh, trade craft, and then also, um, get feedback, you know, from peers and stuff like that about, about these things as well. So, um, yeah. And, and being involved locally and nationally in leadership positions and service kind of helps as well. Cause you, you stay with it. And then finally, um, like I said, I put myself out there all the time. So like uh, every single scan I look at with a trainee, I try, you know, to put myself out there every time. And I try to teach on every, every, in every instance. And each one of those eventually helps you um, stay, you know, stay up and continue to, to work on it. Um, yeah, those are things I do. And I know built into that, as we've been talking, you had, as you reflected, some advice for past you. 
Um, what additional advice would you give someone interested in doing the same type of roles that you had? I think that first and foremost, if you're a physician, you've got to be great clinically. Uh, if you're not, it undermines everything else. So you've got to make sure if you're a clinician, you've got to do that part. Uh, um, then you pivot and you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make my education side, my teaching side to be as good as it can be. Um, I think again, know yourself and then invite feedback all the time. Um, I have modified so many things about how I do what I do based on feedback, painful, painful, but useful and ultimately makes you better. And, you know, I always want to be better. So, you know, there's that part of it. And, um, the thing that differentiates people, you know, I'm doing resident recruitment and they say, what differentiates really successful residents? I would say the top of the list is that they take advantage of opportunities. Either they see an opportunity that other people have seen that they didn't do, or there's an opportunity that nobody else saw um, that they that they take advantage of. That differentiates people. And I, I like to think um, early on, I did a lot of that. Um, now, uh, you know, I do it, but just not as often, I would say, as I used to. But when you're getting into it, I think that's good. And then the volunteer, you, you know, um, if you want to be a speaker at a particular conference, find out who's in charge of picking the speakers and reach out to them. The vast majority of the people that I deal with love volunteers. The, the reason that they may be a little reticent to like have someone cold call them is that they may not know that you're trustworthy. You're going you're gonna to do a good job. You're going to show up, all of those things. That's where your sponsors are helpful, having references and people who can say that. And in the modern world, a lot of people have um, their work on the internet, right? You know, a lot of stuff has been taped or, you know, there's stuff be published or what have you, or maybe a little interview, you know, to go through it. But volunteering opens a lot of doors. And at the, at the least of it, it's a numbers game, right? At least of it, you know, you put yourself out there 10 times, maybe it works once or twice. That's great. You don't need a lot of things to work. You just need a few things to work well, you know? Um, when you're first starting, you just need a few things, right? So you got that part. And so then um, eventually, I think you get more opportunities when you do that. And um, one thing that changed for me was I thought I was going to move up some ladders that I just didn't. And then some other ladders appeared that I didn't know were even there. And then I moved up those ladders, which it you know, just by starting doing things and putting myself out there, if you want to say it's like a video game or something, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's just what it feels like in retrospect, but, um, just put yourself out there and do those things. Figuring out what to take advantage of is one of the things to talk to a mentor about. Um, they may have ideas, you know, and they may help you think about the perspective. Like for example, if you turn down an opportunity, will it ever come back with this person or this particular society? And then the other part is, you know, some of those things may evolve into sponsorship where they put you up for things, um, which is helpful. Um, I think too. Thank you. And building off of this idea of mentors and sponsors and how important that is, how do you view succession planning? I believe that, and again, I'll just pull on the thread I started earlier, you know, like I want things to thrive when I'm gone. So um, part of it is putting in great standard operating procedures, redundancy, getting systems to really work for you. Um, but I realize everything needs a champion. Ultimately, someone has to be the champion for everything we do. So we have to understand what that is. I also believe that we should have a vice champion or co or co-champion um, for a lot of reasons. One of them is people need to learn the ropes 
even if they don't ever take that position, it's building bench strength. It's giving people recognition for what they're doing and it gives them opportunity. So two touch points for me in life are fairness and opportunity. Those are really big for me. And so creating vice chair positions, creating, um, you know, those number two positions is just the right thing to do. And I have lobbied, uh, not only do we do that in our department, I'm really big on that, but, um, I lobbied several of our national groups to do it and they have done it as well. So I'm very proud about that, you know, um, it, and in a moment I doing what I do, I realized the fragility of health and, you know, someone may need to step in. I also realized that, you know, some things can wait a day or a week and some things can't, you know? Um, so again, having someone around is, is really helpful. When I first came here, one of the first things I did was I, I worked on creating, um, covered for myself for my non-clinical roles and (laughs) people were shocked. They were like, nobody's ever done this before. They're like, wow, we know exactly who to go to. And I was like, it just seemed like the right thing to do, uh, to me. And so, um, having a vice chair or uh, like someone who's de facto the number two for a clerkship director or whatever is organically, there's that built in, right? So there's that part as well. I love that. I think, um, as you said, uh, especially as we get older, we recognize that, you know, we're not here forever, um, as, as well. So I love that you early on built that in so it's like throughout your career succession planning has just been a core of what you do i just thought it's the right thing to do and it's turned out that that's been useful so that's good too and i believe in developing people Mm -hmm. and so that you know it's just organically kind of fits in and also i also believe in giving people credit for what they're doing yeah so you know there may be people who are helping out Mm -hmm. hey let's make them Let's make them the vice chair or whatever, you know, let's, how do we do that? You know? Right. I love that. The recognition for all the different people that are working. So thinking about you and potential recognition for the things that you've done, what has contributed to your biggest successes thus far? I am very proud of what we have done in terms of building the education mission in our department while still maintaining our sense of self. Um, I didn't want us to become number one on some list and lose who we were because the culture that we have is next level special, collegial, collaborative, friendly, helpful in the, in the context of excellence. And I thought that's so special. I don't want to lose that. And so, um, building the education mission, diversifying our portfolio, so to speak, of what we do, um, and giving a lot of people opportunities to do good and do well. Um, I'm very, very happy about that. And all of the successes that people have had individually and as groups, um, I think that's wonderful. Um, Education to me, it's like, you know, the, the pebble in the, in the, in the pond and the ripple effect. Um, and you know, it's, it's an investment. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm very happy about that when I do, um, used to do in-person when I used to do in-person interviews for leadership positions, I have a big poster of the education mission of an org chart. And I tell people, you know, this doesn't just happen. You have to make this happen. You know, and uh, as the person who flies the education flag, you know, I'm I'm still trying to make it happen. You know, I think as a teacher, we're constantly interviewing for our own jobs, right? And and you know, like radiology, where's radiology on the curriculum, right? And just like as radiologists, we're always interviewing for our own jobs, and that that keeps us sharp, keeps me sharp. You know, so uh, I'm proud that we've been able to achieve this excellence, still maintain our wonderful culture and, you know, 
move up in the world without losing ourselves. Wonderful, wonderful indeed. And I, I recognize through this conversation, we've talked a lot about like different growth opportunities. And so as, as you reflect and where you're at now, what would you say are your biggest growth opportunities still? I would say that me personally, I'm at a point where I'm trying to figure out what comes next. Um, I think that when you become senior, it's, it's hard because, you know, you, it's, it's made a lot more sense up until the time you become professor and things like that. And then after that, and then, you know, kind of, what do you do? And if I was mentoring myself, I know what I would say about all of these things, but um, it it's hard when it's you, right? Uh, it's hard for me to hear those things and sort of, you know, that like, for example, you know, people would ask me, well, what do you like to do? What do you like about what you currently do? What do you want to do more of? And then what are the opportunities you're looking at and thinking about? And those things don't align, you know, and I'm like, you're exactly right. Because again, I think, you know, a lot of things are very linear. So for example, when you're a, when you're a medical student, you think about being a resident, when you're a resident, think about being a fellow and you're a fellow, you think about being an attending and so on and so on. So very linearly, it would be chair or assistant or associate dean or something like that. And I think I could do a really good job of those jobs, but you know, is that, is that what's next? Or if I don't do those things, then, um, is that okay? You know, cause I've always, um, sort of pushed, you know, so pushed myself. Is that okay? You know, um, hard it's, it's deceptively hard and seemingly I think people don't kind of focus on this locally, regionally, and nationally per se, which I, makes perfect sense. You want to focus on the future and the next generation. I totally agree. But then it's kind of interesting for, you know, someone in a senior position to figure it out. Now, another thing people will say, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And you put yourself out there and the opportunities as you move up the pyramid are fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. So statistically it's harder. And so you may be interested in doing it, but you just, it's not going to happen. And I'm certainly, um, I, I certainly know that there is no such thing as deserve or earn or, you know, like fairness or whatever. It just, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. All right. So that's kind of like where I am currently and I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, when I stepped down from being program director, I kind of threw myself into the vice chair role, which is great. And I, I love it. Um, but it's probably now where I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's next. Um, I think I maybe have one or two more chapters before I retire. Um, I think I have more to give, but you know, we'll see. Um, it's <laughs> each, each stage, each epoch, in in my career and i assume everybody else's career it it's so hard to to understand it in the moment uh and then later on it makes a lot more sense but in the moment it's very hard to understand it uh you know as to how things work and what what the next step is and stuff like that and um yeah that's we'll we'll see we'll see I don't know what's going to be next. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. The journey continues. The journey continues. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about all of the amazing things that you've done, what would you say you love most about your work and what you do? I love to work at the 30,000 foot view level and I love to get my hands dirty. So I love to think really big and I love to do things. 
Um, so like, for example, being part of groups that are trying to figure out, you know, the big questions is exciting to me. And then teaching at the workstation and writing a new lecture and teaching in the classroom. Love that. Absolutely love that. So I think that a lot of life nowadays is spent in the middle, you know, um, pushing paper and dealing with this, that, and the other thing. And so that part is a challenge, but it's not new. And I've been working with it for years and it's not unique to me, you know? So, um, stuff like that. I love that. I, I love to tell people I like to zoom in and zoom out. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's totally me too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, knowing yourself is very helpful, you know, very, very helpful, not easy to do, but very helpful. Indeed. Indeed. So overall reflecting on your experiences to date, how would you describe what your passions are around education? I think that I like the idea of doing good and doing well. And being in academic medicine kind of gives me a chance to do both seemingly simultaneously. So what we do, you know, is I think... Um, it's important, you know, I'm a human being, I utilize healthcare, I understand innately why that it's important doing what we do. But aside from all of that, I always remember that the people we're taking care of are human beings. And I always try to bring my very best to every circumstance. That's what I'm trying to do in the teaching scenario at the same time. Again, exhausting. So um, every single like scan that I look at, I'm a radiologist, so every single scan I look at with a trainee, with a resident or a fellow, I'm trying to give that patient my very best and I'm trying to give that trainee my very best. Those are things that I don't skimp on, you know, like... Uh, there are plenty of other things I'm ignoring in the, those moments, like email and whatever, you know, there's a million other things, yep. but I'm trying to bring my A game to both of those. And that's, you know, I, I, that is a form of passion. Um, and I know people feel it, you know, like when they spend time with me on a rotation like they, they can feel the excitement about like, okay, you know, this is important work. We're doing a great job, you know, let's continue to do a great job, you know, and let's, this is fascinating stuff. Like I'll, I'll maybe a, a scan will be normal and we'll go through some anatomy. It's just fascinating everything you can see. So that fascination part of it too. To me, the four pillars of radiology are anatomy, pathology, physiology, and technology. And so I'm passionate about all four of them. And I think radiology is basically an amalgam of all of those and gives you a way to express yourself um, through professional work. And the education piece organically fits in with me as you go through it. I also think that you know, again, every, everything needs champions and the teaching mission, the education mission needs champions. And I'm not the leader. Um, if they wanted me to be the leader. I'd be the lead, you know, that's fine, but I'm more than happy to follow when, when Dr. Meltzer was here, um, as our Dean, one of my, she was a great influence on me and I learned so many things from her. Um, I was very lucky she was here. So, um, I will say that, you know, at one point, she told me that it was surprising to her that I was okay being a follower in a particular capacity. And I told her, I'm glad to lead. I'm glad to follow. 
it's just whatever's needed. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad to do both. And I would like to think I've done a good job at both, you know? So, um, I don't have a preset feeling of like, oh, I have to be this or I have to be that, you know, per se. So I think that that opens up these kind of opportunities um, as you go through it. Indeed. I love that idea of being a champion, whether you're the leader or the follower. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, if you want to talk about the pyramid and the inverted pyramid and those kind of things where people have put it into a construct, but that's, you just said the essence of it, which is basically what, that's how I look at it too, you know. So I recognize you are more than your career. <laughs> so what are some things you do outside of work to help maintain your joy in life and practice? I uh, appreciate the question for sure. Um, not only because of the, the era we live in right now. Um, I will say that the way I think about it is it's a marathon, not a sprint. I, I know that more now than ever. And um, I work really hard on trying to get better at what you just asked. Um, I don't have it figured out, but I, I do have some things that work for me. So for example, there's a trail that I go on um, and it is elevated and most of it is covered by canopy and the outdoor time, the alone time, being in nature, exercise, fresh air, all of those things have been transformative for me personally. Um, many years ago, I quit uh, caffeine, tea, and synthetic sugars uh, in a health kick and I miss coffee every single day of my life since then. As I sit here and talk about it, I, in my head, I can still, it reminds, reminds me of the hold it had on me. Um, there are a few things like that I've tried to, um, but I, I don't, I don't just eat healthy food. I try to eat. I, so one of the things I do for, you know, my approach to food is I think about everything that I'm eating. I try not to distract myself. Like I try not to eat while I'm watching television or something. And, or I see so many people like looking at their phones while they're eating. And I try not to do any of that. Um, I try to just concentrate and just be in the moment. Yep. Um, and I don't eat things I don't like. Um, <laughs> the, those things have worked really well for me. Um, I meditate every day. Um, that's been good. I've liked that. I tried yoga. It did not work for me. Uh, didn't, didn't work out. That's okay. Yep. Not everything works. Um, you know, um, I'm at an age too, where life events are kind of piling up and everything I go through is kind of the first time I've ever gone through it. And it's so odd. It's such an odd sensation, you know, each time, even though technically I know, you know, part of it's my training, but you might read about it. You might talk to people, but it's still, still an odd sensation every, every time. So, and they, you know, they start to add up and I doing my best not to overthink it, uh, which is very hard if you if you've been paying attention for me it's very hard for me to get out of my head that's why like on my on my walks i usually walk for like an hour and it takes me a good half an hour to get out of my head and then then it's really good you know um in the past um i used to have professional meetings in you know like a, a someplace i'd have to drive and it would take about five six hours to drive there and after about an hour of driving, I'd get out of my head, you know, it was like, and that was good. It was good. You know, there are things I can do like exercise or whatever to kind of get out of my head. And then finally, I do love pop culture stuff. Anything that is 
as far from reality as possible. People flying through the air, spaceships, anything like that. Because my life is reality. I want to escape a little bit, you know. Um, so I like anything like that. It's kind of fun. Um, and through all of those things, uh, I've been able to find a way to to spend time with my family and friends. Um, I'm married to another physician. I think that's helped a lot, especially because we started our journey pre-duty hours. Um, but we understand, we understand each other, um, in that way, which is good. Um, and you know, it, it's been good. Those were my questions for today's session. And before I um, release you so that you can get out of your head, <laughs> um, what any last words of wisdom for aspiring educators or educational leaders? I think that it's super important for anyone who has the inkling to make education a priority to do that. It takes a village, as they say. We need people who do every aspect of interface, the 360 degree in every direction interface with a university, academic medicine to be involved. Some of those people will become teachers. Some of them will become educators. Some of them will become leaders and some won't. Some will be researchers. Some will be administrators. Some will be chairs and some will be deans. We need everybody. So when I'm talking to aspiring faculty members, again, going back to before, I say, you got to be great clinically and then be pick one of the other areas to be great in, whether it's education or research or leadership and service and then don't be bad at the others support the other missions and for the people who are like us who are going to say education is going to be my life great you know that's awesome that's going to be you know i'm like you know cl clinical practice education great but we need everybody so we need everybody on the team just like I try to support the research mission, I try to support the leadership, I try to support the service missions. Um, everybody needs to support the education mission too. We need everybody for sure. And those people who can at all become the champions for it, we need you. We need you. Um, we need the next generation and the next generation. You know, you need to, everybody just needs to, realize you have it inside you, you know, we can work on the rest. When I talk to my mentees, I say, you know, there's two things that will take you a long, long way in life. And you have to have the spark. I can fan the flames, but you have to have the spark. One is, um, you know, being self, you know, sort of, um, being wanting to do things, you know, like being, it's, a, it's a form of ambition but like wanting to get involved, wanting to volunteer, um, like that, that part of it. Motivation, if you will, you have to be self-motivated. Again, I can get somebody fired up in my office and be like, you know, and by the time they reach the end of the hall, it's worn off. You know, they, they need to have that part of it. The other part is a joy of learning or a love of learning. Just intellectually thinking to yourself, I want to learn more about that. You know, those two things will take you so far and people have to have it. If they have, if they have those two things, I can work with the rest of it. Like I can, I can teach somebody how to put together a lecture and how to give it and how to teach at the workstation and how to write a paper and like, and I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to teach people all those things. It's just like, you know, if you have the spark, you know, you're like, I think I can become one of those champions, then do it. And I can assure you, if I can do it, anybody can do it. So uh, I'll leave it there.
you so much, Mark, for sharing your spark with us today. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's a really cool series. I was listening to some of the other podcasts and I'm very honored to be here. Thanks a lot. Most welcome.